handout this evening? Anybody need one, just raise your hand. Tonight we're going to look at, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As we begin, we must ask, what does blessed are the pure in heart mean? This is taken from the Beatitudes for Today by James C. Howell, and he says, It may be helpful to think of purity in two ways. There is a purity that looks like simplicity, focus, single-mindedness, and there is purity that looks like goodness, cleanness, holiness, and the two are not unrelated, and neither is championed in our culture. Soren Kierkegaard wrote a duly famous book entitled, Purity of Heart is to Will One Thing. The human predicament is that we let ourselves get frittered away in multiple directions, trying to be and do everything when we are made for just one thing, for one thing that finally matters, God. If purity of heart is to will one thing, then focus is everything. The pure, like a racehorse, need blinders to block out their peripheral vision so they keep their eyes on the goal straight ahead, the finish line. Then the next two paragraphs are taken from R. Kent Hughes's book, Blessed Are the Born Again. The basic idea is to be clean or pure in the sense of not being mixed with anything else. William Barclay tells that the Greek word was used of clear water, sometimes of metal without alloy, sometimes of grain that had been winnowed, that is, free from the mixture of other particles, and sometimes of feelings that are unmixed. As it is used in our text, it carries the idea of free from every taint of evil. We must keep this squarely in mind, because it is normally supposed that pure, as in pure of heart, primarily refers to being pure in mind regarding matters of sensuality. It certainly includes those matters, but the idea cannot be so limited for it is far deeper and searching than the sensual purity of the mind. Here in the sixth beatitude, it means a heart that does not bring mixed motives and divided loyalties to its relationship with God. It is a heart of singleness in devotion to God, pure, unmixed devotion. James refers to this idea when he says in James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Taken from Blessed Are the Born Again by R. Kent Hughes. I cited these two examples to note that there is pretty common agreement among commentators that the purity of which this particular verse is speaking of is an unmixed devotion towards God. It is a single-mindedness in our relationship to God. Number one, singleness of devotion to God is paramount in the commandments of God. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six and 37 states, Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? This was a, a question that was put to him by a scribe, that is to Jesus. And he, that is Jesus, said to them, You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, <clears throat> with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, I'd like to point out two things <clears throat> from these two verses. And that is that, first of all, <clears throat> it's referring to our whole being. 
of uh, heart and soul and mind. It is saying in every facet of your being, your, your entire makeup, your, your mind, your heart, your, your will, everything is to be devoted to God. And then, not only your whole being of heart, mind, and body, but also every facet of the heart and every facet of the mind and every facet of uh, the body so that it is all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your body. It is to be exhaustive. Our whole being, every facet of our being is to be devoted to a love of God. Number two, singleness and devotion to God translates in the totality of our lives for his honor and glory. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's speaking about every activity of our lives, even the most mundane. As we live our lives, we are to be thinking about the actions that we perform, the attitudes that we manifest. Are they, in fact, bringing honor and glory to God? So certainly, our commitment to God goes beyond a Sunday morning service or even a Sunday night service, but carries over into every facet of our lives throughout the entire week and days and months and years. It also breaks down a dichotomy between the sacred and the secular. The reformers put a great emphasis, especially Martin Luther, on trying to eradicate in people's minds a distinction between the sacred and the secular. Martin Luther uh, taught the priesthood of the believers, that were all priests before God. He argued that there was no such thing as sacred and secular. And one of the reasons that he argued that the priests should be able to marry, because there was not to be this distinction that was to be had in their lifestyles. But everything is to be considered as, as sacred. The term that's used today is to departmentalize uh, one's life. And we talk about departmentalizing one's faith, often in terms of politics. And politicians will say that they have a personal faith in God, but they don't allow that to influence their decisions or their relationships with other human beings. Well, that's as far from the Word of God as you can get. The idea that you can have a personal faith and trust in God that has nothing to do with the way in which you're going to make decisions, the way in which you're going to act upon justice, or the relationships that you're going to have with others. If we are going to have a right relationship with God, it includes not only the private but the public. It includes all of our dealings. It includes all of our decisions. It includes all of our actions. So the Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. So even in our 
quote-unquote secular employment, we are to be thinking not just about our bosses and whether or not they are pleased with our work, but we are to be uh, thinking about God and is he pleased with our work and we ought to be doing whatever work we're doing in order to bring honor and glory to him. Uh, That is what is known as the Christian work ethic. That we bring a uh, quality to our work, knowing that God would want us to put in a, a faithful, full day's work. He'd want us to put in a quality work, not just getting by, but doing our very best, for that is what brings him honor and glory. Uh, Chuck Colson has written a book, and it's entitled, Why Doesn't America Work? And it's a play on words, and it's about the work ethic, and how we have lost a Christian work ethic in our culture. Well, that's what this is speaking to. Next, singleness of devotion is characterized by the life of Jesus, who lived to please God. John eight twenty nine, And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus made it a goal in his life to always be doing those things which are pleasing to God. Not just Jesus, but Paul also. We should seek to emulate Paul's singleness of devotion in pleasing to God. Paul had a dedicated purpose in life to please God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 9 it says, Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Now, in this verse, when Paul refers to being at home or absent, he's not talking about in Lebanon or traveling on the road, but he's talking about life or death. To be at home, he's talking about being home in the body. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord in this particular passage. Paul is saying he is living his life to be found pleasing to God, whether that be at the very end of life and the judgment that is to come, and to hear the well done and now good and faithful servant. Also, in this life, while he does his everyday business affairs, he wants to hear, as it were, God's voice saying, I'm pleased with you. You have done well. This has been a good day. You are doing that which is is right. Paul encourages us to learn how we can be more pleasing to God. Ephesians 5, 9, and 10. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to God. So we study the scriptures so that we might understand what pleases God, what what God delights in, our activities, our thoughts, our motives, our ambitions. And the desire is to do that which pleases God. Next, God is concerned with outward appearance, uh, excuse me, God is not concerned with outward appearance, but inward reality. Blessed are the pure in heart. How a person presents himself or herself is not always a good indicator of what is going on inside. Uh, This is a point that's been made in a number of different ways in these Beatitudes. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you clean the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. What do you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are all like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Even so, you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Put that in there twice. And so we need to recognize that God wants us to be single in our hearts, minds, and devotions, not just outwardly, but inwardly as well. The Pharisees were more concerned with how other people viewed them rather than how God viewed them. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. We need to always be on guard that our profession does not go beyond the reality of our hearts. I don't know about you, but I often feel uneasy with some of the hymns that we sing as they speak of a particular devotion or commitment to Jesus Christ. And, and I'm wondering as I sing these hymns, is it sincere? Is it, is it true? Uh, is this my testimony? Is this where I'm at at this particular moment in my life? And uh, God is not concerned with what comes out of our mouths. He's concerned what comes out of our hearts. And so we need to be careful that what we say in, about our commitment to the Lord is genuine, is real. There are some people that love to say, praise the Lord. I have no problem with, with that. That's great. Praise the Lord. But that needs to be not only on our lips, it must be from our hearts, that inwardly we must be praising God as we say that and not being uh, displeased or, or grumbling or complaining while outwardly we portray um, being pleasing to God. But it's interesting, the next verse, what goes together with that, and that is, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. That that is a, uh, a measure of hypocrisy and actually dual allegiance. We are to be having allegiance to God only. And there are people that would love to see us have our allegiance to them. People that set their own standards of what is right or, or what is wrong. And the Pharisees were great for that, setting these standards of right and wrong, and people following them. And God says, and in so doing, they fail to follow me. For they are to honor me and me alone. See, they sought to please people more than please God. It is freeing to seek to please God rather than men. Paul writes in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. There are times in which uh, people will actually be a drawback to us in serving God. Sometimes people lay expectations 
on us that we don't think are the most helpful or, or beneficial. One of the great pearls of wisdom that I received from Pastor Hartman when I was with him, and I got many pearls of wisdom, he took me aside, and, and uh, Sarah had just been born at that point. Uh, Suki was six months old when we came to the church here. But I remember when Sarah was born, and he took me aside, and he said, Cal, he said, one of the things you always have to keep in mind, he said, is when you are rearing your children, he said, rear them to please God and not the congregation. Rear them in such a way that you're pleasing God and not the congregation. He said, ultimately, you're going to stand before God for what your children do and don't do. The congregation isn't. And he said, uh, don't fall into the trap of going against your own conscience by allowing or not allowing them to do something that you think is right or wrong. But stand firm in your own personal convictions. I think there's a tremendous wisdom in that. And uh, I would say that to you. You know, we, we have, uh, uh, as we gather together, we have differing opinions. Uh, we have different backgrounds. We have different concerns. And some families are going to have certain standards for their children, and other families aren't going to have those standards for, the, for those children. And there's going to be a tendency to try to please everybody, and that may mean to acquiesce and allow your child to do something you don't think they should, or to place a burden on your child that you don't really think they should have, but somebody else does. Uh, purity of heart says, before God, I think this is the right thing to do. And this is how I'm going to rear my children. And then not be judgmental towards others who would see it differently. But that aspect of purity of heart, so as not to please men but to please God, in fact, is very freeing. Number seven, the benefits of singleness of devotion is keener awareness and understanding of God. For it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, in what sense? Well, A, to see God's face is a euphemism to know God intimately and fully. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as also I have been fully known. In John 1.18, God says, No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. In the Old Testament, Moses was told that he could not look upon God's face. He could only look upon his back. The idea was that, that he didn't, wasn't able to see God in all his fullness. God in all his, his glory. But as we seek to bring everything in our lives under the authority of God, as we seek to do everything in such a way as to please him, it gives us a better view of who God is. It gives us a better understanding of what his will is for our lives because we are concerned about his will in every facet of our lives. And so we get to know him better as a result. Presently, our knowledge of God and intimacy with God is limited. When we clearly see God in the life to come, we experience him fully. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the children of God, 
and it has not yet appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him just as he is. Romans 22, 3, 4, and 5. And there shall no longer be any curse, and the throne of God, and the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have any need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. This is the idea of full, complete understanding. The more we have a singleness of heart and devotion to God, the more fully we're going to know him and experience him. D. We have a greater, that is, closeness, intimacy, and knowledge of God now as a result of singleness of devotion. Notice James 4.8. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Double-minded. The aspect is that we are torn in a number of directions. Pleasing people, pleasing God, pleasing ourselves, doing what we desire as opposed to what God desires. And God says, purify your hearts. Get rid of the excess. Get rid of the alloy. Get rid of all the mixture and devote yourself completely to serving me. And I'm sure you've heard the adage, they are so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. But the reality is you cannot be so heavenly minded as not to be of great benefit earthly. Uh, these things do not stand in contrast. The, the worker who strives to please God is going to please their boss. The worker who strives to hear from his boss, to hear from God, well done and now good and faithful servant, is going to be a joy to have in the workplace. He's not going to be lying, he's not going to be stealing, he's not going to be cheating, he's going to be putting in a good day's work, and he's going to take his work seriously and do it the best he can. Likewise, in a relationship, a husband and a wife, a, a husband, a wife, who is trying to do everything to please and honor and glory to God, is going to be a delight to be around and to be married to. It doesn't mean that we become of no earthly value, quite the opposite. Our earthly value rises incredibly as we are devoting ourselves fully and wholly to God. In Psalm 24, verse 3, it says, Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Psalm, 1, Psalm 11, verse 7, For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, the upright will behold his face. As we seek to please and honor and glorify God, as we seek to know his will, so as to do it, it is going to bring us into an intimate relationship with God. One in which we adore him, one in which we love him, one that is described as loving God with all our hearts and all our soul, all our mind, uh, our complete being in every facet of it. As we seek to do this, 
will really develop an exper- experiential relationship to God. But if we're double-minded, if we're fritting away our time, if we're involved in a whole host of things, giving very little thought to God, and how our lives are lived to please Him, reality is we're going to experience very little in our relationship to Him. Um, at times, it may even only seem like a, a principle, a belief, because we are far from Him. Draw near to God, He'll draw near to you. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for uh, the uh, Word of God and uh, the encouragement to live a life of single devotedness to you, knowing that is how we're going to see you, comprehend you, experience you. Help us, Lord, for we are drawn in many different ways by a lot of different ambitions. But Lord, may we be single in our hearts, minds, before you, doing that which is pleasing in your sight. And may you indeed receive honor and glory and praise as a result. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.